Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon. Hello, I'm Dom. And on this episode, we are diving in to Face Off. Welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast, where it is always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, settle in as tonight's movie for debate is face off so dom before we go any further what do you remember about face off i remembered quite a lot so i remembered caster troy obviously nicholas cage and john travolta um i remembered his name was archer but i couldn't remember his first name i remember he gets shot at the beginning his son dies, you know, all sorts of things kick off and that it's basically cop versus robber the whole time. I remember the um, the great bit right like pretty much at the beginning, the first scene with Nicolas Cage when um, the choir's all singing and he does his like dancing in the in the middle of it and stuff like that. And uh, I, yeah, I, re- I remembered quite a lot from this film. Uh, again, it's one that used to watch quite a lot especially with yourself um in our youth what about you what did you remember i remember a lot about this film this was like a special one for me and my dad in particular and uh so it came out in 97 so we were 10 so perfect kind of age face <laughs> off i mean a lot of it like some of the incest and things that you get at a, you know on a current viewing kind of goes over a 10 year old's head right uh and some of the the other and some of the other parts like that but i i absolutely loved it my dad was really excited about it because he was a big fan of john woo and was a fan of uh, the movie hard boiled there's some action sequence with like a baby or something in hard boiled and i just remember him saying that, that he really liked it and there's a convenience shop store in the village that uh that you grew up in that i seem to go to every single day of my childhood where we went to school where they had a in this in the shop they had a little video section and i think i've mentioned this on previous episodes of the podcast that my dad had this sort of underground deal with the guy ray that owned this shop and my dad would give him uh, his old videos and Ray would rent them out to people in the village like a blockbuster type situation and he'd give my dad a percentage of the money <laughs> <laughs> nice bootlegging DVDs love it yeah or video it would have been videos I suppose at the time yeah exactly and I just so, want yeah. to add very quickly that Hard Boiled uh, came out in 1992 so we could cover it there we go <laughs> I've actually never seen it. Did you see it? I've I've not ever seen it. No, um, but we could definitely add it to our list at some point. Does the cover art look familiar to you? Uh, only a little bit. Do you want to do you want to see a great picture? You know what you were saying about baby. Can you see? Yes. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I'm assuming then it's all about him protecting this child or or something like that and it's got chow chow yun fat in it that he's uh he's very familiar to me from like those martial arts films and stuff like that so 
Nice. Very, very cool. Very cool. cool. So yeah, so my dad was super into it because he wanted, he knew that it was going to be over the top and ridiculous, basically. And that is what you have to sign into for face off. You can't go into it thinking that, you know, this is in the realms of reality. You have to just buy into the craziness of it. And my dad has sort of told me about this and anything that my dad was into when I was young, I wanted to be into because it's like my idol. Um, and yeah, so I remember sitting down to watch this. He was doing the ironing on like a Sunday and we watched it and I loved it. And I remember he really enjoyed it. He really enjoyed Nicolas Cage in it. And he really liked uh, Caster Troy's character in sort of how, you know, evil and vindictive and sort of over the top he is. So yeah, so I loved it. I watched it loads growing up. It was kind of up there in the upper echelon. Echelons. With like Con Air and, you know, Speed and Die Hard, etc. And Face Off is pretty much like top of the mountain. So yeah, I remember loving it. I've watched it many times throughout the years and looking forward to talking more about it with you, Dom. Well, I've actually got a question for you just before we get into the film and the trivia and stuff like that. And uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. And I was going to ask you if you could only pick between one, the Conair or Face Off. So we've previously covered Conair. So for our listeners that listen regularly, thanks for listening to that one. Uh, for those that haven't listened to Conair already, go and listen to it. It's a great one. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give you a choice, Simon. You can only pick one to watch for the rest of your life. Which one are you picking? I know which one I would pick. It's a really difficult choice. I think. <laughs> It, it, as ridiculous as it sounds, I think Con Air is an easier watch mm -hmm. in terms of this. That's horrible to say because it's, you know, involving like rapists with Johnny 23 and, you know, Steve Buscemi's character cutting off people's heads and all this other stuff. But I think it's even more sort of tongue in cheek in a way. So I'd say if I had to watch it all the time for the rest of my life, then I'd say that would probably be the one that would be easier to watch so yeah i would say conair but i probably prefer face off is that a bit of a cop out you still didn't really just pick one so are we saying conair you just pick conair i'll say conair okay because cool. i would definitely pick face off Ooh. okay i think i actually think like you just said face off is the better film yeah so we know that they were made at the same time so that that we know cage had a very busy schedule that year um, <laughs> but I actually think Face Off is better than Conair, and I would watch Face Off kind of more repeatedly than I would Conair. Yeah, yeah, I, I I can see that. The one thing I would say about Face Off is, on this viewing anyway, I started to realise how long it is. It's actually two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, like, I mean, that's not like you know titanic or you know a, you know the godfather or something that's ridiculously long not to say that that's taken away from those films or anything but <laughs> you could say that they sort of earn that running time where face off is like you would expect it to be a 90 minute on the dot type movie right or you know or at least not exceeding two hours again i'm not complaining i enjoyed all you know a hundred and hang on 
40 minutes of it. Right. Yeah. Did, I mean, what did you think? Did it did it seem a little long to you? I was actually surprised at, at how long it was. So I I had downloaded it, or bought it off Amazon Prime, and when I saw the running time along the bottom of the screen, I was like, God, this is a lot longer than I remember it being. But I suppose when you're younger, you don't really care. <laughs> if faces are coming off, it doesn't matter how long it's for. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, uh, do you remember about your first viewing? Like, did you watch it at home with with your dad? I mean, we've we've known famously from previous podcast episodes. Your dad's a big, you know, fan of um, Starship Troopers and and movies like this. Was this one that was in his wheelhouse? Or your mum was a fan of Conair, so maybe your mum was into it. So my my mum likes both, so she does that face off as well. I think she prefers Conair. Um, but she does. She does like both. Uh, I think her um, exact. When I told her we were going to cover Face Off, her exp- exact words were, um, well, "What a ridiculous film!" So I thought she didn't like it, and she said, "Oh no, but I like. I like it. It's a good film." So I was like, "I think it's the concept that makes it a bit more ridiculous than the actual film itself." But I don't really remember my first viewing. It might have been with you. I remember you having this in your array of films on your your uh, like bookshelf or your film shelf <laughs> and uh, i'm pretty sure it might have been might have been at yours actually that we watched it that's it's believable <laughs> <laughs> i the the cover art was something that i always really loved as well i think it's one of my favorite covers uh or movie posters for a film yeah definitely it's got that it's the the half and half isn't it of both of them with, it, with the writing at the bottom which we previously said in our Mighty Ducks episode, they kind of, uh, you know, they, they did in 1992 between uh, Coach Riley and, and Bombay. So That's right, yeah. <laughs> imagine that as face-offs. They had to change faces between the Ducks and the Wolves. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, do you want to hear some trivia? Absolutely. And bits that I found out. So... First of all, this was released on the 7th of November, 1997. You want to take a guess, Dom, at the IMDb rating for Face Off? Can you remember what Conair got? I think Conair got like a 7 or some, something around that. I was, I was thinking around 7. So I will go for, yeah, I'll go for sort of bang on 7. It's close, 7.3. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, so pretty good. And it's obviously a strong fan favourite. Yeah. And it kind of it encapsulates the late 90s. I think that's what people love about it and what I love about it as well. is So uh, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Paramount, Paramount Pictures announced last year in 2019 that they are going to do a reboot of Face Off. Yeah, so not a sequel a reboot so different different cast i don't know if that means it's the same characters or it might just be the premise of face swapping but they are doing a reboot and i think this comes with some trepidation from myself because part of what makes face off work is that the era in which it was in in the late 90s when you've got films like con air and uh, i know it's earlier in the 90s but like demolition man and you know these types of over the top speed you know 
action movies yeah. face off work today i mean what do you think dog i mean face off at the time so 97 was kind of felt science fictiony didn't it so this this is just like this couldn't happen you can change someone's appearance completely to be someone else and so on and so forth but as we get technology advances and we move closer to the the future that then these things uh, become a possibility don't they 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 aren't necessarily as far away as we think they are so it might change the whole feel of the impossibility of it and the the wow factor of of that being an idea i mean who would you cast let's just imagine that it was a direct reboot imagine they were just doing the exact same thing again but in you know modern day who would you cast as the you know as caster and sean that's a good question i'm trying to think of actors that are kind of in their let's say early 30s now um that would kind of fit the roles who's a little bit wacky and who's a little bit straight man because they have to be kind of um exaggerated versions of themselves for the other person to then be be able to sort of do the mannerisms etc i was thinking chris pratt could be maybe an option as sort of his caster troy maybe or maybe yeah maybe as caster troy at the beginning with them plays the straight man you know or the good guy for the majority of the movie because i think he'd be a bit better at that than yeah I think, yeah, I think he does kind of does crazy wackiness really well. Someone like Ben Affleck? Is he a bit too too old? I don't want to say too old, because is that... He might be now, yeah. At the right time? He'd probably bring too much into it, I think. Like, you just see Ben <laughs> Affleck, you know? <laughs> like, but this was kind of a perfect time at, in Cage and Travolta's career for both of them, really, where Travolta was, you know, this is, what, three years after Pulp Fiction, so he was, like, back on his rise... And then Cage, this was, dare I say, the peak of the pinnacle of Cage. Like, <laughs> got him at the right amount of, you know, cageness before going, you know, fully into, you know, things like The Wicker Man and other movies. <laughs> Your face changed so much when you said The Wicker Man. It was like peak and pinnacle of Nicolas Cage and then The Wicker Man. <laughs> the bees. Oh, the- <laughs> What about the Rotten Tomatoes score, Dom? What would you guess that to be? Ooh, I don't know. Rotten Tomatoes are like a fickle beast, aren't they, sometimes? They, they're so mixed with their points of view. So I know, I'll probably get high on this one. So I'm going to go 85. 85. Not bad. Do you remember, I think the highest we've had so far was Saving Private Ryan. That was 93%. Nice. Oh, no, no, no. We had Toy Story was 100%. Oh, yeah. Face Off is 92%. No way. It's 1% away from being Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, but, oh, fair enough. Still, That's good. The Mighty Ducks was 9. 9. <laughs> <laughs> People don't give a shit about ice hockey, but if you take someone's face off. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> what about the what about the budget? What do you think about the budget? Remembering we've been all over the place with budgets, but one of our more recent episodes, Sister Act, was thirty million, wasn't it? Or thirty-two million was the budget? Yeah, uh, around there, and it made like two hundred million, didn't it? 
that's it. And Cool Runnings was like 14 million as a budget. Where do you think Face Off sits? I think with the amount of action that's in it and the cast at the time were pretty big. So Travolta was massive in, in terms of stardom, of course. Um, and Cage as well, pretty big. Been in a lot of stuff. So I think it's going to be a lot higher. So I'm going to go, it'd be like 80 to 100. So I'm going to say 80 million. It was 80 million. <laughs> Never get it right. Okay, can you do it? Can you complete it off? What do you think it grossed worldwide? Oh, this is this is difficult. Well, this is tough as well because it had an 18 certificate rating. So just remember that. You I know, have to make it I have to make an interesting kind of choice as to whether it beat Sister Act or not. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna add a hundred million onto it. Onto the budget. So I'm gonna say 180 million. It in fact made two hundred and forty-five million. That's a lot. It's a good like turn, you know, return on investment, especially for a movie that yeah is like the adult rating. So you're not this isn't a family movie. Mm. So yeah, so well done. Yeah, you you did you did very well today. I did okay. I did okay. <laughs> so it was directed by the one and only John Woo, who's directed Hard Boiled, like we said at the top of the podcast. He did Mission Impossible Two, Hard Target with Van Damme, Broken Arrow with Travolta again, and with Christian Slater. He did um, Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage as well, didn't he? Yeah, I've yeah. never seen that one. It's the War one, isn't it? Yes, it's not a bad film. It's not It's not the best, but it's not bad. Nice. Well, <laughs> John Woo is known as someone that has a sort of particular style and, you know, a lot of doves and symbolism <laughs> planted in there. And this is renowned as like the heights of his Hollywood films because he has a lot of films, uh, you know, in Asian cinema. And this is kind of known as his sort of, Mona Lisa of Hollywood cinema of you know Hollywood movies yeah so uh, as we said running time two hours and 20 minutes so pretty long for for an action action movie starring the one the only Nicholas Cage (laughs) your absolute favorite who had been on a massive run uh, in this in this time so He had The Rock in 1996. Great film. Face Off in 97. Great film. Yes. Con Air in 97. As as well as, you know, he went on to continue to have success. He had Gone in 60 Seconds, which again kind of falls in, in this category, as well as doing more serious roles, I guess, in like Adaptation, Matt Stick Men, leaving Las Vegas, which he won an Academy Award for, and then had a little bit of a few career lows that we we sort of touched on already, you know, rumours of financial troubles, so on and so forth. It seems like he is back on top, and I don't know, you. I think you sent me the link, Dom, that he has agreed to play Joe Exotic in the Tiger King movie. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure he's agreed to it, but he's in line. To, to do it there he's the one that they wanted to, to do it oh i thought he'd accepted no i don't think so oh, but i imagine if we had that exclusive 
Maybe the thing is, is if Cage's career was to go any lower, we might actually be able to get him to be a guest on our show. <laughs> <laughs> His agent's like, yeah, he's free. He's totally free. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he'll pay you. He's, he's so available. <laughs> uh, starring opposite Nicolas Cage is John Travolta, who obviously... We know from Greece, Saturday Night Fever, Live Fever. Fever, it's Fever, yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> is it live? No, Saturday Night Live is a comedy show. Right, right, right. It's Fever. But it's Fever. Go with Fever. Fever, okay. And Pulp Fiction. Classic. Phenomenon. We're gonna Great come. film. We're gonna... Oh, do you like that film? Love that film. Haven't seen it for a long time, but it's great. I love that film. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we get, we're, get it we're, on the pod. Excellent. It's happening. Exclusive. <laughs> That's our exclusive. The exclusive is we're later going to cover that film here. So <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, he's been in. Oh, look who's talking. The trilogy, as, as well as well as others. Uh, he hasn't really had a hit for a while, but potentially maybe another comeback because he's had a few comebacks already do you remember swordfish yes it is swordfish as well i really like that film as well did you like it's it a, yeah it's, it's hugh jackman halle berry and him isn't it and travolta so and he's the baddie in it isn't he yes i don't i don't know the year of that film that i think that might be early thousands yeah i think that's like 2001 maybe Blech. yeah <laughs> 90s only, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that film, like, so oh, I think we previously discussed on a different episode, I don't know how it came up, but the Flintstones, we didn't cover that yet, yet, but we, we did talk about it and I explained about how uh, my introduction to Halle Berry was like a bit of a, you know, an awakening, you could say, <laughs> in the Flintstones. <laughs> I was more of an awakening in uh, in Swordfish. <laughs> My gosh! So <laughs> a little 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 strange thing maybe about John Travolta. So Dom, as we grew up together and as we're friends, you you know my father. I do. He has dark hair. Yeah, he does. He does. He has he has dark hair now. For some reason, when I was a child, I thought he's got dark hair uh, and he's a white guy, you know, in his 40s. My dad was probably in his 40s then. And John Travolta's a white guy with dark hair. He's in his 40s. And I thought, John Travolta's my dad. He's the American version of my dad. So I really ran with this. And actually, we was on a holiday in Cornwall, I think, when I was a kid. This is in, like, southern England. And we was in this, like... (laughs) What is happening? Just hang on, right? It will, <laughs> it will loop. It will loop. So, I, I, uh, we were in this like comic book shop type thing, and for some reason, it had these like boxes with like thousands of Hollywood actors and actresses' headshots. And I was like flipping through, and I saw one of John Travolta, and I was like, "Oh, Dad!" So I was like, "Dad, can I get this picture of the American version of you?" And he was like, "Yeah, okay." So we got it. I took it home and I put it there on the wall in my bedroom 
and just had a picture of John Travolta there. <laughs> and I, I told this to my wife yesterday when I was saying about, oh yeah, like thinking back about this, about Face Off. I watched it with her yesterday and she was like, so you had a picture of John Travolta on your wall. Did you have any pictures of your actual dad? <laughs> no, but John Travolta was there. <laughs> so I kind of always had this opinion. What amazes me is that the more we do this podcast, the more your wife finds out about you <laughs> and the closer to divorce you're getting. <laughs> it, it kind of created this bond that I felt between me and John Travolta. So then I would watch films like Phenomenon and stuff and be like, oh, go on, Dad. You can do it. I kind of always had a special place for John Travolta in my heart. Wow. I, d- I didn't know you you held him so closely to yourself. I did. It's like, that's scary. <laughs> no, it's lovely. So <laughs> we, we also have uh, Joan Allen, who's playing Eve, and uh, she was in films like Peggy Sue Got Married. Haven't seen. Have you seen? No, not seen. She was also the mum in Pleasantville. Did you watch that? Nope. Okay. Um, (laughs) She was in in the Bourne movies as well. I've seen the Bourne films. Okay. Do you remember her in it? No. Okay. So... That's like our main cast, really. The first choices to play Archer and Troy, who do you think they were? What, what the Cajun Travolta weren't first choice? They were not first choice, no. I remember, I remember Conair having a lot of first choices, or a lot of different choices over who was going to play Poe. So, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, he gets chucked around quite a lot. Sure, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I have no idea. No idea. Wow, it's more 90s than that, Dom. The first choices to play opposite each other were, of course, Arnie and Stallone. Nice, of course. <laughs> Full action hero. <laughs> Which would have been a very different movie. Absolutely. And Michael Douglas was being chucked around as well to be one of the one of the cast members. I can kind of see that. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. But I think what works with Travolta and Cage is a little bit like what works with Die Hard because originally in Die Hard they were <laughs> yes, we brought it to Die Hard. They were <laughs> they were trying to cast um, like Arnie Stallone, all these sort of types to to play. Uh, John McClane but then they cast Bruce Willis and it was like he is like the everyman he's the URI that anyone you can relate to that character more because you know we're not muscle bound you know men (laughs) we're average guys that you know if something was going down we'd be hiding in the corner or you know running for the exes not with no shoes on with no shoes exactly not that's what John McClane does but you know it's allows you to identify the character more. And I think that neither Cage or Travolta are typical action stars. Mm. Um, but they, so I think, I think it works really well, complements each other. Because otherwise, not that it's realistic in, in any way, of course, but it grounds it a little bit in that at least they're not, you know, action man models, you know? Hans, Bobby, 
I'm your white knight. I suppose we have to, you know, consider the fact that they have to play each other, really, don't they? As well. Yeah, so, and they do, and they do that fairly well. I don't think Stallone and Schwarzenegger would necessarily have that range, but you never know. Yes, but we never know, will we? <laughs> Unless they're in the reboot. You heard it here, fellas, folks. <laughs> so, Dom, are you ready for some trivia? I am absolutely ready for trivia. Okay, so I thought this could be a good opportunity to kind of switch this up a little bit. Because this isn't trivia and, and these kind of things. They're not really what we aim to sort of deliver on the podcast. The main point of our podcast is just to reminisce over these films, talk about how we enjoyed them and, you know, share that with our audience. But we do like to go into some of the trivia as well. But on IMDb, there is a great mixture of trivia that is amazing and really interesting. And there's also a mixture of trivia that is funny because it's ridiculous because trivia on imdb is a little bit like how wikipedia is that anyone can post trivia on there so i thought what if i read some of the trivia off of imdb and then at the end of each trivia piece you rate it out of 10 to whether 10 it being oh that's a really good piece of trivia i'm glad i know that or zero like, that was a waste of someone's energy just typing that into IMDb. What do you think? Okay, yeah. Excellent. So, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta spent two weeks together before filming to learn how to play each other. They decided on specific gestures and vocal cadences for each character that could be mimicked. That's quite interesting. That's an eight. Originally, Nicolas Cage turned down the role of Caster Troy, citing a lack of interest in playing a villain. However, once he was told he would actually be playing the hero for the majority of the movie, he quickly signed on. That's also quite interesting. Yeah, that's probably about an eight as well. The first life face transplant was accomplished in 2012 on Richard Norris, who'd accidentally shot himself in the face with a shotgun the same year the movie came out. One, how do you accidentally shoot yourself in the face in a shotgun? And two, what, he shot himself in the face of a shotgun in 1997? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. And it was only able to get a face transplant in 2012? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't think of it like that. So what does that mean? For 15 years, he had no face. Well, you're pretty messed up one, I would have thought. I really like, obviously this is a, a horrific thing and by no means would I want to laugh at someone that has no face or shot their face, nothing like that. But I am incredibly intrigued to know what his, what was left because from what I know about shotguns, not much is left of anything, right? Yeah, pretty powerful weapons. And if he, if he shot himself, it's very, very close range. But also, shotguns are really long. So, like, would that almost be, like, impossible, like, to lean your arm far enough to reach the trigger? Because isn't that, like, one of the sort of conspiracy theories about the death of uh, Kurt Cobain? Yeah, but we all know that that's... It's, it's easy, isn't it? You just sit down and you can reach it. You don't have to hold it out. Oh, dumb. Yeah, you just sit down. Okay. Everything's, everything's in front of you. Bang. Calling me with the physics. 
Okay, so John, <laughs> John Travolta asked the writers if they were making fun of him with the with the ridiculous chin line. They explained that Caster was such a narcissist that he would hate having anyone else's face. Oh, I, I, I think that's really interesting. I actually thought Travolta might have put that in himself. When I watched it, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's literally when I was watching it today, I thought, or oh, I wonder if he's gone, oh, I'll mention something about my chin because it's quite a pronounced chin with a massive sort of dimple, isn't it? So, well, it's interesting to see it. Did he not like that then? I guess he didn't like that line. Yeah, and that's so funny because I thought the exact same thing. I thought, oh, he like ad-libbed that or, or added that. I said, oh, yeah, let's say that about, you know, about my chin or whatever because it's something he's well known for. My wife like loves those chins to the point that she like wanted one like when she was a child like she wanted a you know you two learn so much about each other every week that goes by <laughs> you'll probably be mad at me for saying that but you know, <laughs> it's whatever. okay she doesn't listen so it's fine yeah exactly <laughs> if she does i'm gonna go get surgery and give myself a dimple chin and be like well look look what i have <laughs> Nice, nice save, nice. Yeah, yeah. And just surgery to get out of that one. <laughs> the scene of Adam, who is the replacement child for his own later in the film, listening to Over the Rainbow on his portable headphones was John Woo's idea and not part of the original script. Paramount uh, Pictures refused to finance the extra scene and John Woo had to use his own money to make that happen. He was later paid back as the film turned out to be profitable. Wow. That's a good, that's a good fact as well. In the eight ballpark. In the eight ballpark. Nice. And it shows how much he believed in that scene, which dare I say, Dom, is a beautiful juxtaposition of the chaos, you know, of the violence. The word, the word, the juxtaposition. We've got Die Hard in and juxtaposition. That's two of like if if people were playing bingo <laughs> for this podcast, that's two down. You just need, I just need to link it to Smart House, and you just need to link it to Star Trek and Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> there's tons of Shakespeare references that can be made in this later. I'm sure. Can we just go back to Adam very quickly? Yeah, I hate it when he goes, "I'm Adam" at the end. <laughs> I hate it. Really hate that bit. And I'd forgotten how much I hated it until I watched it today. I'm hi, I'm Jamie. Uh, Adam. Like, who cares? Like, we, we know your name. John Travolta's just gone. This is Adam. Why do you need to say it? You don't need to say it. We've already heard him say it. Do you that's, know what I mean? That's like the because he only has like two lines in the whole film. If that, like, he winks at um, Dietrich at one point, and then he just says. I'm Adam. <laughs> he didn't need that line. Just pay the kid the same no matter what. Don't pay him extra for a stupid line. Do you know what I mean? Uh, now we'll get to it when we get to it. But also, maybe maybe Sean should have cleared it with his wife first, whether he could, you know, adopt a child of his, yeah. of, you know, birthed from the, the man that assassinated their child, bereaved them of a child. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. 
Nicholas Cage didn't want to see the grotesque face makeup, so John Woo hid all the reflective surfaces on set. So I'm guessing for the bit when he wakes up without a face. Wow. That's a bit... Does it look like Gore, then? I guess not. That's actually, I thought, one of the, one of the greatest scenes, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but I love the way how they, they don't focus on it. Like, as in, you know, when he's like, brah fucking oh you know and it's like <laughs> clapping and it's going it's like flipping between looking at is it dr walsh walsh yeah, uh, walsh, yeah. flipping back in between it's like you're just seeing glimpses of cage without the face but it's like enough that it's more like you know letting your imagination do it where if that was now it would have to be like focused in and you'd have to see bits of tendons and muscles moving and whatever and because our like uh, immunity to gore is so high now that we have have to be shocked. Yeah, it's millennials' fault, isn't it? Absolutely, completely agree. So there's no uh, shock factor anymore. Exactly, exactly that. So we said already. Originally, Arnie and Stallone were um, were in line to play the lead roles. Uh, it was actually John Woo who uh, decided that Travolta and Cage would be more suited to the roles. So that's not to say that Stallone or Arnie turned it down. Uh, it might have been that it was his decision. The crew shot on Nicolas Cage's birthday. John Woo let Cage get emotionally charged up for a scene, then surprised him with a birthday cake. Afterwards, Cage asked Woo not to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that again. <laughs> Nicholas Cage doesn't like heights. He said that shooting one action scene was one of the most frightening days of my life. I'm assuming that must be the bit when it's like hanging off the roof, maybe, or when he's on top of the uh, prison, you know. And he jumps off the oil rig, basically. Oil rig, yeah. I haven't watched this film in a long time. Well, in like a few years. And the last time I watched it before watching it yesterday for the podcast i watched it on a plane uh, on going you know on the way to holiday and uh that's a destination by the way holiday you know planes fly to holiday and <laughs> i watched it on an ipad so you don't not not that it's like bad quality or anything but it's you know different if you're watching it on like a on a big tv and yesterday we watched it on blu-ray and it's kind of shocking how often you can be like, oh, that's not Nicolas Cage. That's yeah. Did, did you notice it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stunts where you think, that's not them. <laughs> there's that one guy's... bit where um, it's meant to be Nicolas Cage. I think it's in one of the boats and his hair's flapping about all over the place. So he's just like, he didn't have that much hair. <laughs> Get it right, John Woo. Where's your continuity? You, have yeah. p- you pay people for this. <laughs> exactly that. Get it right, John Woo. <laughs> well, I, I uh, forgot to mention that I didn't realise this until looking it up yesterday. There's actually a 10-year age difference between Travolta and Cage. Oh, really? Which one do you think is the elder? Travolta. Yeah, by 10 years. So at the time of this, roughly, some, uh, Travolta was about 42 and Cage was about 32. So Cage in this was probably slightly younger than you or I are now. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's weird to think of Nicolas Cage as younger than me. Yes. 
and John Tra- isn't. <laughs> no, but in this time, and John Travolta's never been younger than me because he's my father. So, so according to producer Barry M. Osborne, most of the challenging action scenes, including the fight on the deck of the boat and the airplane going down the runway, were originally planned as green screen shots, but they were but they filmed them practically to support the realism of the story. Wow. So the realism of the story was important to the producers. Yeah. <laughs> the studio wanted John Woo to take the like the forward slash out of the titles. You know, the actual title was face slash off. Yeah. But he kept it in because he didn't want people to think it was a hockey movie. You know, in hockey, they have a face. The face off is when they uh, drop the puck. Oh, okay. So they want, he wanted them to uh, see that it was meant like basically putting a comma in. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. The crew had to get the plane shot in one take because they were really destroying a plane. They shot oh, it with 13 cameras for multiple angles. That's, that's a good fact. So again, this is where this, some of this 80 million was going. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike John Woo's previous American movies like Hard Target and Broken Arrow and his later one, Mission Impossible 2, this face-off had little to no studio interference and the only scene that the studio got involved in or demanded to be cut was the opening assassination scene of Sean Archer's son, which obviously they demanded, but obviously didn't happen. Yeah, how's John Woo suddenly gone, no, that's not, I'm not changing it. Because you remember, what film was it when we said that the studio said, you have to take that out? And they said, okay, if I take... Yeah, so he said, okay, I'll, I'll only make this change once, but I'm not changing it again. And they begged him to put it back. It was like one of Marla's lines, wasn't it? I wonder if, if John Woo had to kind of do a deal, like we keep that in, but we'll take something else out. Or So Joan Allen was John Woo's first choice for Eve. The studio wanted to go with someone younger and make her a stepmother, but Woo fought for Allen. So they basically wanted to get, they probably wanted someone more like the daughter to play the mum. <laughs> yeah, get Jamie in on it. Yeah. The name for the floating prison, Air One, is a simple anagram of nowhere. Nick Kazavets, who's the guy that plays uh, Dietrich, surprised John Woo by shaving his head for the role. Woo said it was just the image that he wanted. Nice. So it's a lucky guess there, wasn't it? Yeah. According to his blood tests, Caster Troy's hemoglobin. I'm just really, really um, happy with myself that I was able to to read that. Uh, is much higher than six point five percent. He most likely has diabetes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Get that insulin. <laughs> yeah, Conair. It all relates back to Conair. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, the two main characters' blood types, so more on the blood. In case you're interested about the blood, there's more on it. The two main characters' blood types reflect their antagonistic nature. So Sean Archer's blood type is O negative, which is the same as mine, Dom, in case you're interested, which what? is universal donor, reflecting Archer's role as a police officer dedicated to serving the community. Wow, okay. 
Carter Troy is this AB positive, the universal recipient, someone who takes from society without giving anything back. Wow. <laughs> is, is that is that a reach? Is that a stretch? Or is that like one of the best pieces of trivia ever? I think it's a bit of both. <laughs> I mean, what's your blood type, Dom? I actually don't know. It's AB, isn't it, you bastard? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> We're going to have to swap faces later. There's so many here. I'll just do a couple more and then we'll move on. You're like this one, Dom. The, mag- the magnetic boots the prisoners wear in Erwan prison are the same boots worn by the Goombas in Super Mario Bros. in 1993. Nice. I do like that. So, other actors that uh, were considered for the role of Sean Archer and Caster Troy, besides Arnie and Stallone, included... Harrison Ford and Michael Douglas. Okay. Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin. Oh, like Alec Baldwin, I could see as a good archer. Well, the, these are like the combos that they would have been. So it would have yeah. been two together. Willis could have been good. I mean, Bruce Willis is kind of like, I love Bruce Willis, obviously, but he's kind of like, he can phone it in, can't he? Like if if he what if he wants to, he can give amazing performances. Die Hard, Unbreakable, Pulp Fiction, and then there's like Sixth Sense, and then there's other movies where, you know, the last fifteen odd years where <laughs> not particularly, you know. And I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. I mean, what do you think of Willis? Die Hard 4.0. Just saying that. Just saying. Just gonna leave that one there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Oh, but I don't see that working. Because they're too old. Well, no, not even that. Just, just I don't know if they fit the bill. Okay. Are you? Are you can see which way round these people would play. So you can. See, Al Pacino would definitely be Nicolas Cage, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And then, you know, obviously the big Swaparoo, but... The Swaparoo, uh, that was the second title they were going to have after Face Off. <laughs> that was the working title, the Swaparoo. Just, it was just a big Swaparoo. <laughs> Maybe that's what they call it in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What film should we watch? The Swaparoo. <laughs> it just uh, popping faces, left, right and centre. <laughs> I can't do accents. Okay, and the <laughs> final one was Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Oh, Steven Seagal's a legend. Just saying that as well. Under Siege, love that film. We, I, I was going to make you watch Under Siege once. I wasn't sure if you'd, if you'd enjoy it. I've seen it and I loved it. It's one we're going to cover. I think it's sort of early 90s. So, Excellent. It's um, like a ni- 93 or something like that. Okay, I'm going to do two more, okay? Before shooting emotional scenes, John Woo played soft, sad music to help the actors get into character. John Travolta said he didn't need it. He nailed the scene in one take, earning the nickname One Take John. (laughs) That's a terrible nickname. (laughs) One Pump John. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh. All right, one more. One more. 
Uh, I'm just going to pick it at random. That wasn't even a third of what's in here. Okay, let's see. I'm going to pick a long one. Okay. John Travolta and Nicolas Cage were considered to reunite after this movie for The Expendables 2 in 2012 and Killing Season in 2013, but scheduling conflicts caused them to not reunite again. (laughs) This is poorly written. Robert De Niro replaced Cage in the killing season opposite John Travolta. Wow. That's a bit, that one was a letdown. We've got to go out with a bang. Let's see. Like one pump, John. <laughs> That's going out with a bang, yeah. <laughs> Need a good one. Okay. Nicholas Cage is a big fan of Young Fat Chow, as you mentioned. John Woo originally asked Cage to decide on the makeup for the beginning of the film where Troy is going to kill Archer. Cage decided to don a moustache similar to the famous assassination scene in The Killer in 1989. Nice. I was going to mention this moustache as well because I think you should, you should have one just exactly like his. Me? Exactly the same. Okay, and then me and my dad will be John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Yes, you would. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so that is the trivia. It is time to get into this movie, The Swap (laughs) Aru. So we start with the opening scene, which has, as we just talked about, Nicolas Cage in the woods somehow somewhere with a sniper rifle watching Sean Archer John Travolta's character with his son Mike Mikey on a Ferris wheel which always makes me dizzy yes just spinning around but I don't think he's in the woods I think he's just next to a tree yes it's not the best (laughs) kind of flash no, so just like there's, there's going to be people around. Just quite happily got my sniper rifle out. You know, no one's stopping me here. <laughs> and yeah, he's watching. And Nicola, um, John Travolta is clearly a, a devoted father, enjoying his time on the Ferris wheel. And then he shoots, shoots him. He accidentally hits the the boy, which. You can tell it's an accident because it flips back to him and he's a little bit like, oh, okay. And uh, John Travolta falls off. And then I think he his action, his acting, when he realises that his son's been shot and the way that he's sort of shaking because he has also been shot, I've always thought was really good. I mean, what did you think of this scene? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good bit. And it, you feel the emotion in it already from the get-go of the film because there's even that moment where Troy takes a second to you know he hesitates about shooting doesn't he because he sees that he's with his son and um, I think even after he's shot him and he's crawling over to him I did have that sort of moment of oh he's forgotten the bullet hole in his back because obviously his son's lying there dead but I suppose you would wouldn't you and um, there is a brief moment where Troy looks a little bit Oops, kind of, I, I definitely shouldn't have done that then, but he just gets up and goes and he doesn't really care. Exactly. And I, guess, I, don't, I don't understand the sipping from the drink 
he's always tipping up for a straw, isn't he, for the whole thing? He is. And I think that is just to uh, amplify the moustache, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Or maybe that it's like he's been to the fun fair, walked around, so he's already obviously been present while Archer's been around with his kid and his family and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's trying to sort of show that he's calm, you know, he's like it's not like he's nervous, he's done this many times before, we'll do it again, and he's kind of just yeah, sipping a drink, cold natured. Yeah. Yeah. We also get the first instance of the uh the face stroking. Yes, uh, which I hate. You hate in the film, or you'd hate someone to stroke your face? Like, is this to not- me? I, I think I think when if people do that to me, I, I really dislike it. Wait, so someone has done this to you previously? Yes. That's feel free to that's air this demon live. On- <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember I used to work with someone who. Uh, had seen the film as well and had oh, liked the film. This is a direct um, reference to Face Off that they did. This is, is exact Face Off. Face Off has, has ruined uh, this motion for me. And they, they just randomly just came up to me and went, I just did that. And I was just like, I'm, no, 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 I'm not happy about this. And then they did it a lot. They would just come up to me and just do it a lot. And, I, and, and then they'd encourage other people to do it. And so I, I forever hated that. Just don't like it. Just don't touch. You have no right to touch my face. Well, especially during COVID nineteen. You know, you're literally. <laughs> they don't do it now. <laughs> arm sweat on. Okay, so did they? Did it stroke your lip? A full frontal face. <laughs> full <Because> frontal. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when they're doing this in the film, like it ends with like a fingertip pulling the lip down. <laughs> like that yes exactly like that is that not okay well i'm not gonna i will not enter your personal space bubble with my hand to your face so thank you i appreciate that that's why you're a true friend thank you no it's a a pleasure we then skip to six years later yes big jump big jump yeah and we move to Archer being at work and we're sort of introduced to his uh, task force or, you know, and that he, he's the guy, he is the, the, the main guy there at the FBI. And we're introduced to Tito and other characters that are, you know, part of the secondary cast. And then we find out that Pollux Troy, who were introduced to that character. So Nicolas Cage's character's brother in the movie has paid for a private plane or jet or whatever at the runway in cash. And then that tips them off. So they're going to go to the airport to go and catch them. Yeah. Let's go get them. You know, you know how much you hated uh, Upham in Saving Private Ryan? Because he's a little weasel rat. Yes. Pollux Troy. Well, that's... Funny you say that because I did invite him, the actor, to come on to this episode. <laughs> but he never got he never got back to me. So uh, maybe that's for the best. Would you have been honest? Would you have told him that? Yes, I think so. I think I probably would have gone. I really hated the character, but that's you know he's supposed to be hated, I suppose. Yeah, he meant to. Yeah. 
So replace that P with a B and there we go. <laughs> Before we get there though, we move to the LA Convention Center and we see Caster Troy uh, sorting out the bomb or setting the bomb up, etc. And then he walks out and we get the infamous uh, introduction to him doing like the head banging like you talked about earlier and like all of the faces. This is Nicolas Cage on a hundred, but just the right cage, like it's perfect. And uh, we spoke about this on a previous episode of the podcast that then at the end of the day on the dailies, you know, where they look back at what they've shot in the day, John Travolta saw this footage of Nicolas Cage and was like, oh, this is what we're going to do on this film. Yeah. Yeah. This is how I have to be. <laughs> but he also then uh, accosts a, a choir singer. And um, my wife and I were questioning this on this viewing that perhaps she wasn't of age. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. She looked about maybe about the same age as Jamie. Like 15, 16. So around that, that age, yeah. So it didn't look it didn't look right, did it? It didn't look right. Yeah, no, right. No. <laughs> and Caster, Caster arrives, and this is like I remember this part as a kid is like was so cool. He has like the little box with uh his gold and black guns in and like he's got the is it like a crocodile's teeth or snake teeth that like gold clip holding like all of the cash yeah and he's saying uh about to like their sort of bodyguards or the boys or whoever saying that you know you're supposed to be looking after him you know hiding that famous face and then we get uh, Caster doing up Pollux's shoelace, which is kind of to go to show that he's always been looking after him, you know, through through his life, I guess, and that he is the dependable one. And Pollux is a little bit like, you know, like Lenny and George in Mice of Men. <laughs> Just want to touch the rabbit, George. <laughs> Just want to touch the rabbit's stuff. Just want to touch the rabbit, George. Lenny kills literally everything he touches. <laughs> Pollux couldn't kill any like he couldn't kill a mouse, could he? He's very soft, George. Oh, there's a reason Lenny gets shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> just just for uh also that connects to uh Conair because that's, I mean, I actually never read the book of Mice of Men. I just watched the movie, and that's literally how John Malkovich sounds in the movie. Read it. It's a good book. Lots of, lots of light imagery. Light imagery? As in, as, in light, as in light, as in the sun and stuff like that. Okay. okay, okay. There's, a, there's a lot of light imagery in there. Steinbeck, love it. Give it a read. <laughs> I think um, the, the, going back to the relationship of the brothers... I actually think it's more a case of uh, a little bit less George and Lenny, a little bit more common sense versus like intellectualness. Like you've got streetwise and someone with intellect because Pollock's Troy designs the bomb, doesn't he? And, and all of this and all that, and, and is, is the brains of the outfit really. But Caster Troy's got the, the street sense of about him and and the the drive 
and the push to to make these things happen. So he just kind of he needs his brother to be able to come up with these crazy. You know, Casatroy is probably the kind of guy that would go. You know what we need? A massive bomb. That's what I want you to go and make up for me. And he'll go, oh, okay, brother, and then just go and do it. And go, oh, I designed this bomb. It's like really crazy, and it'll kill thousands of people. And he's like, excellent. Let's go and put it all together and go nuts. That's that's kind of that's how I see it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, brains in the brawn, basically. But, but yeah, pretty much street, streets, street sense. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So they get onto the plane. Oh, of course, we have the the great line before that though. Stay away from LA on the seventeenth or whenever it is. It's gonna be a little bit smoky. <laughs> it's the eighteenth. Ah! Me <laughs> is gonna get that. <laughs> but then we have even even further line delivery of we get on the plane. Uh, undercover agent Winters is on the plane. And he propositions her with a few different... I love the way that he's, like, selecting which one it's going to be. He's like, if I was to buy you flowers, where would I... No, 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 no. If I was to let you suck on my tongue, would you be grateful? Like, as in... I love the way Pollux is watching, like, as if he's like a little boy, almost, you know, sort of in awe of his brother but knowing that he would never be able to be like that, but also, yeah. And, um, and she does it. But there's, there's a reference to that line later on. So like you said, he has a select number of lines that he uses. And that was the one that he felt right for the time. Cause there's a mention of it later from the, uh, from Sasha, where she says, Oh, what asking people to suck on your title, something like that. Um, and, uh, so it's obviously something that he's used before. Yeah, he's pulling it from the roller decks. Yeah. <laughs> I I wish I could do impressions and do voices, which I can't at all. But I love the part. It's so Nicolas Cage. When he first gets on the plane, he's just like, come on, I'm bored. Let's go. Let's go. I'm bored. Come <laughs> on. I love all of that because it sort of just shows how like, his whole life has to be going 100 miles an hour all of the time whether he's like on drugs or killing people or doing whatever so I think these moments are great introductions to the characters absolutely so at this point this is where Archer shows up and we get this great action sequence of him running you know following down the runway we get them playing chicken in between the you know the the jet or the airplane and Sean in in like the four by four and uh, showing that they they both want to kill each other or arrest each other, not each other. You know, they're both, it's this never-ending duel. And it almost, that part reminds me of that bit in Family Guy, you know, between Peter and the chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the never-ending, uh, you know, rivalry. Uh, eventually ends with um, with Caster shooting the... the Secret Agent Winters throwing her, her dead body off of the plane, which is very harsh, um, so on and so forth. And it culminates with the, the plane uh, running into like the hangar, basically. But just going back very quickly, when he shoots the agent out of the, the plane as they're driving up the runway, everyone stops. So all the FBI stop, all the cops stop, and the helicopter lands. And then all of a sudden, 
Travolta's in that helicopter, Archer's in the helicopter flying it up and, and over. And I wonder if he actually flew it because he can't, he is a pilot, isn't he? So in real life. So I wonder, but there's no explanation. I don't remember seeing anything that said that he was military or anything like that in his office because he's got a lot of awards in his office and stuff like that. But, so there's no real mention of that or him ever flying a helicopter again. Um, but he just gets up and that's what causes the plane to then, because um, like you said, Castor Troy does everything at a thou- wants everything at a thousand miles an hour and he gets pissed off that the pilot can't take off so he just shoots the pilot. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do now? He's got no option but to drive into this hangar. <laughs> yeah, and I actually really like that bit. He's then trying to like steer this massive plane with one hand, like, <laughs> yeah. leaning over the dead pilot. Uh, eventually crash into the hangar and then we get this great sequence and I remember loving this as a kid when Caster Troy like jumps out and does like the old slow motion Max Payne with the with the two handguns. Yeah. So good and so it's a great good. bit. Great bit. And we get loads of action beats here. Uh, this though on the Blu-ray is very easy to see that one of the uh, FBI agents that comes in right at the beginning, he gets shot with a shotgun, so he kind of like gets blown like up into the air. You can very visibly see the wire on his back, like yeah. put the actor up. Did, did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. You just see the the way he goes flying over some canisters and stuff like that, or back into some some racking and stuff that you, get, you watch him get pulled, don't you? But still great though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would it, never have noticed that on the VHS or whatever. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, Pollux Troy then jumps out as well in a similar fashion to his brother, just to emulate his brother, but just drops like a sack of shit and <laughs> is isn't, isn't nowhere near as cool as uh, Nicolas Cage's in that bit. It was Castor Troy's. And he very quickly gets uh, arrested or, you know, taken by, by the FBI agents. He gets, he gets a good beating, actually, from like the female agent and then one of the other guys. It's and Tito that holds him down, isn't it? Yeah, and Caster sees that, and uh, but continues to sort of evade, and then it goes through, you know, a bit of cat and mouse between Archer and Troy, and uh, you know, a few people get shot here and there, and uh, there's some great moments, you know, classic action, get down, you know, all this sort of stuff, <laughs> and then we get a great standoff where they're, they're holding the guns and they're like flipping over each other's arms and stuff. Uh, there's some great dialogue here where the biblical plague that Hele deserves and all this, you know, just typical 90s antagonistic, you know, dialogue. And uh, and then... Little Janie. That's it, yeah. he gets Because he gets it wrong, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because of Janie. That's it. That comes, Jamie. that comes back later in the movie when he's yeah in a room and then he sees it right on the uh, cushion, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. Nice. And uh, and then we get some Cage singing when his gun, you know, is out of bullets. What does he sing? I'm ready, ready for the big ride, baby. <laughs> you knew, didn't you? You just giving you giving you your opportunity to shine. <laughs> what did you think of this scene? Uh, for the whole thing, I was just thinking, I'll just shoot him, <laughs> just shut him up. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed the the whole bit, like the whole action sequence, the cat and mouse. Like you said, there's a lot of FBI agents getting killed, 
and a lot of archer ju- trying to jump on top of them to stop them getting killed and stuff like that. But it's a good scene, and like you said, with the guns like clipping over each other, they kind of have this weird understanding, don't they? But they've been it's been cat and mouse between them for such a long time that they probably do know each other so well that he's just at that point of. I mean, Archer even says, I don't even care about dying. And then he realises it, obviously his gun's empty because he tries to shoot him. And then he's got control. And then Cage just turns on the cage even more at this point. And he's like, oh, God, I don't want to die. And then does the singing and it pulls out a knife and it all gets a bit crazy from there. Archer kicks him and it goes in front of the, like, the aeroplane engine. And then he gets, like... <laughs> like floated into a trailing fence. Now I said this to my wife. I was like, "Okay, if he hit like a wall or something, I get it." But he hit a fence that has a little bit of give. Okay, it's not like he's going into water or anything. But would that put you into a coma? I don't. I don't see why not. I suppose it would. Yeah. So I suppose it's the force that he's going into the fence with, isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah, I just know if it was my dad, he wouldn't be in a coma. So. <laughs> or your dad was the one pressing the button. That's right. That's how we get <laughs> putting people in comas out here. <laughs> so we get that. We uh, we then move forward from there. Ah, so th- we then we then move to Archer going home and speaking to Eve, and this is our introduction to Joan Allen's character and his telling her we got him it's over we're, we're, it's, it's done he's going to go get therapy he'll talk about mike etc we flip to archer going back to the office and he's getting like a standing ovation and he's getting a, a bottle of champagne and he's still upset because of the lives that that were lost and you know he says you know actually to to Picard and to Truffle and to Dom and to Simon and Simon's dad and Winters. Winters was the only one I could remember. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Oh, Montgomery. Montgomery's one of them. How could we forget? Of course, Monty. Uh, no, we... Monty. Oh, Monty. Oh, Monty. We uh, we get some great late 90s computer effects with uh, Archer closing the file on his son's murder. Case closed. Exactly, exactly that. Uh, and then, then, Archer gets handed a floppy disk. <laughs> oh, there'll, be, there'll be people that watch it now, there'll be kids that watch that film now going, what is that? They won't know what it is. Yeah, when you think about it, a floppy disk is almost the size of an iPhone. Yeah, true. Crazy. Uh, so they've recovered this from like the scene of the, you know, the plane crash or wherever. And uh, Archer puts in the floppy disk like we did. And my wife was saying like the one good thing about floppy disks is they were durable. Like they yeah. were resilient, weren't they? It would last. You could probably shoot it, and it still work. <laughs> they they put it in and then there's the is the schematics to the bomb but they don't know where the bomb is so archer says well i'm you know i'll make him talk i'll make people talk he'll lean on the on the witnesses um pollux 
isn't talking. He'll only talk to, he'd only talk about that bomb to his brother. What, what did you think of all of this? Uh, yeah, I think there's a great bit when the, he's doing the interrogations where he kicks someone out and uh, he's like, oh, for God's sake, because he's, he's like shit himself. Yeah. <laughs> like the room stinks, he stinks. <laughs> so it just, just shows how good he is at uh, interrogation. Because he does say, that's what I do, you know, get these people in front in a room with me and I'll get them to talk. You know, except Pollux. Pollux is, is the only one that isn't going to talk because he'll only talk to his brother. So that's why he says, yeah, we'll bring in the rest of the gang, I'll make him talk. And then one of them's kicked out for shit himself. <laughs> yeah, like later on, that's, that's shown though, because he gets the big guy, the big ball guy to talk, doesn't he? And he holds the, the gun in his eye. And he basically yeah. squ- squeals like a pig. The, 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 these bits remind me of the bit in Blue Streak, you know, when uh, Martin Lawrence is holding the guy behind the door and then like punching him. <laughs> <laughs> That's on Netflix, by the way. I watched it the other night. So, oh, nice. So good. It always reminds me of you and your dad. So, we're definitely <laughs> going to cover that one at one point. Absolutely. So, in between that, Tito and Hollis. Uh, part of Archer's, you know, team, they talk to him and start saying about the potential for swapping faces to becoming Caster Troy to get Pollux to tell him where the bomb is. So they go to the Walsh Institute. And just, just on that, when she's in the office telling him, so I, I kind of get the vibe that she's his boss. She, or she's like between him and the guy, the director of the FBI that runs the whole building or the whole operation but he she lights up a cigarette mobile lights in the uh in his office then all of a sudden they're at the Walsh Institute and she's got the cigarette still and it gives you that impression that it's the same cigarette it was obviously not going to be but <laughs> it kind of feels like it is nice but they, they got there very quickly <laughs> yeah, in one breath of a cigarette yeah, literally which she then puts out on Carter Troy's arm and this is at Archer's shop that they're even keeping him alive. And they start talking to him about it and talking about how the procedure would work. And obviously this is where it's, you know, all a little bit ludicrous, but you just have to roll with it. It's in the title. Like we know it's going to be crazy, but you just, you know, it's, it's all that this film never takes itself too seriously. It's, you know, it's okay. It'd be different if this was like a sincere attempt or, trying to say that this is possible you know yeah yeah it's it's still science fiction not not trying to make it science possibility you know i like that science possibility nice (laughs) so yeah and we get our interrogation scenes like you said he yeah dietrich he dietrich mentions his son which with a very, you know, simple and not particularly very clever insult of, hey, Sean, how's your dead son? <laughs> like, but it does it does what he wanted to do. It provoked him. But then, yeah, he gets the gun in his eye. And I don't know whether this guy, the actor, just has deep eye sockets or, you know, I don't know what's happening. But the gun looks like it's, like, jammed into his eye. It's, <laughs> <laughs> like, really far into his head. Yeah. Uh, and then he says... What does he say, Dom? Oh, no. Which one? Dietrich. Uh, the 18th. Yes. It's, uh, I, I just I only know it's the 18th or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you nearly got me. 
so then there's a little bit back and forth. Archer goes home to see Eve and says that he's got one more thing he needs to do before he can put it to bed. Um, and she said, you know, you said that it was over, so on and so forth. They have a bit of a fight, but it's, you know, it's what he had to do. He talks about the scar on his chest that he wishes it was like an inch to the left or to the right. And, you know, then Mikey would still be alive. And she's saying, but you'd be dead. So, I mean, maybe if it was just two inches, maybe he just wants it to be, you know, 10 inches the other way and they'd both be alive. <laughs> One pump, John. You're going for the full 10 inches. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, do you know... Just, just on the scar, though, I, is it on the wrong side? Is it on the Ferris wheel? He gets. I'm pretty sure he gets... When he gets shot, it's on his left side. Oh. And then when we look at the scar, it's on his right side. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I think it probably would have been mentioned in somewhere in your research. Had it been wrong, I would have thought. Well, also, he got shot in the back. So that scar at the front, that's the exit wound. So it might have gone, you're saying it might have gone through him diagonally. Maybe, but I just mean that does that mean he's got an even bigger scar on the other side, or is the exit wound going to be the bigger scar? I think the exit wound would be the bigger scar. So he must have a little scar on the other side on his back. Yeah. But what but what I was thinking is that he's holding Mikey's head kind of on the left side of his chest. He gets shot, Mikey gets hit in the head. So he it would have been the left side. But the scars on the right. This is what I don't get. I might have completely mis misjudged it, but that's what I was. That's what I was thinking the entire film, the whole way through. Because you have a damaged frontal lobe of your brain. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> I can't process emotion. You, you can't. But yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they have a fight. He says he's got you know got to go, and you know he's going to go through with this surgery. He gives his wedding ring to Tito. Please, will you hold on to this? They talk a little bit more about how, how it's going to work, the procedure, etc. We get to go in with the face off and the face in some special little fluid that keeps faces, you know, warm. It's like the equivalent of, like, you know, if you have a pizza and you think, well, I'm going to put some of that in the fridge for tomorrow. That's the same, but with faces, right? I reckon it, I reckon it was vinegar. They're just pickling him. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna to want to rinse that off before they put it back on his face on his scar that, that, that shit's gonna sting <laughs> but even from like an early age and even now like obviously i know this is ludicrous but when they're using like the like sort of laser beam pen thing or whatever that's like taking off the you know the layer of skin around the face i still think that effect looks pretty good it, it is good. I have some questions, well, ma mostly comments about this entire scene. Welcome to the Walsh Institute. This obviously cost millions and millions of dollars to put together. They have some of the top scientists in the, in the world that can do all these uh, amazing scientific procedures to make someone look like and sound like someone else. Are you with me so far? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yet, when they go to removing faces, they just get 
Billy Billy somebody with a purple pen to freehand draw round their face and be like, yeah, that'll do. That's pretty accurate. That's more or less round the face. Do you know what I mean? That's Where's amazing. the science in that? Come on, come on, people. This is supposed to be, you know, science possibility. This is <laughs> yeah. this is why it's this is why it's fiction. Yeah, this the just the pen. I did think that as well, actually. That it's just like it's just a biro. It's not even like it's a particularly like a sharpie or anything. Like, but it's, it's the fact that they freehand it. They're just freehand drawing around their faces. They're not. There's not even any sort of precision to it. Or okay, we've had to analyze this, that, and the other. We've got this machine that will etch around your face. It's just some guy going, it's literally drawing, drawing around them, like, 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 like they'd let me walk in and go, here's a purple pen. You just draw around their face, and what we'll do, we'll cut their face off. Don't even bother washing your hands. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> we'll dip it in some vinegar. It'll be fine. <laughs> in vinegar anyway it's all the same yeah <laughs> i i also like and dislike because it makes me feel funny in you know my spine the noise of the suction when they put it off <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i like it i think it's good you like that noise you can have that as your message tone for what <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they put it off. They also say things like, I mean, there's there's a lot here that isn't accounted for, but you can't be picking holes in this stuff because you could go forever. But, I mean, they say things like, you know, got different body types. They, I wonder if John Travolta was uh, offended by the, you know, we'll take care of those love handles for you. Yeah. As well. <laughs> uh, I listened to... Um, I listen to a few movie podcasts and on one of them, uh, which is called Hey, Do You Remember? Which is a great podcast if anyone's interested. One of the first episodes I ever listened to years ago that they did was on Face Off because I love this film. And they brought up a very important point that later in the film, uh, Caster in Archer's body sleeps with Eve. So did they also, you know change his penis <laughs> well i mean they didn't call the film cock off so i'm <laughs> <laughs> moving on so we get through they change the hair they change the body the other bit that always makes me feel a bit funny is they plant the face on you know but it's loose it's not connected yet and they sort of massage it on yeah, they start, like, manipulating it into place, don't they? Yeah, like, oh, that bit's not fitting quite right. Oh, there we go. Eyebrow was slipping, you know. <laughs> and then Archer wakes up as uh, as Troy. He sort of has this moment of looking in the mirror. And this, as much as this is a silly film, there's some great acting in here from Cage and from Travolta as we go through. But... It's sort of like looking in the mirror and he's like, you know, oh, wow, it's, ha- it's amazing. I can't believe it's happened to laughing, to crying, to fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> and then it takes him like quite a few attempts to smash the mirror. Yeah. With the, uh, the coat peg. It was probably after this scene that John Woo came in and went, happy birthday. <laughs> Bring out the cake. Cage is ready for the cake. 
<laughs> yeah, good scene. Uh, and we forgot to mention that it's only this select task force of people that know about this operation that, that this is happening. Yeah. So they put him on, they put Archer, now Troy, on the heli- on a helicopter to go to the prison and now is being treated like a prisoner. Now, we're about 40 minutes in or so when we get to the prison and over breakfast this morning, again, I was talking, I don't normally talk about my wife so much on this podcast, but we're quarantined together. So <laughs> all of my conversations, but we were talking about face off this morning and saying about how actually it feels like it's like four or five different movies in one. Like as in, this is, it's an awesome film, but it's like, there's so many cool little premises that's all, all tied in. Like the whole prison segment could have been like its own, if they extended it out, its own movie, you know? Yeah. And the same with like, you know, what the, the story on the storyline of John Travolta being in the house and but not actually being the dad and, you know, the, the boyfriend and the butterfly knife and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they could have made it. I mean, it's one of those things that you could turn into a series, couldn't you? It could be like a four-parter or a five-parter with all these different aspects. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so we get to the prison and we're introduced to the the fact that it's all a magnetic field and you've got these boots that keep you in place. I mean, what did you think of storyline? Yes, it's it's full control. It's full, no chance of anyone escaping. They basically have full control, and these criminals have got no way of escaping. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. Mother's always been when it's right. Skyrockets in flight. <laughs> afternoon delight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually quite like the concept of the prison and the idea of it because it's full control over like a mass group of lunatics and they're literally magnetised to the floor so they can't do anything else. I mean, they can lift their feet off but not for long because it's heavy boots. So, And they have, you know, the ability to lock anyone down at one point. They can pinpoint who it is and stuff like that. So quite a clever idea, really. Nice. Archer, as Troy, is moved to the general population and he's all a little bit sort of discombobulated and he can see Pollux and we're sitting... (laughs) He likes to see Pollux. (laughs) We also can see the prison guards are able to monitor on like a screen where all of the prisoners are at, at each point so it's like a highly modern prison especially for like you know the late 90s and yeah. this is where we, he's uh, being spoken to by other like criminals and prisoners that he doesn't recognize because he doesn't know them he goes to say i put you away oh archer put you away that's so it he, he only knows him from the cop side of things not the criminal side of things Exactly. And then we get this fight scene with Dubov. With Dubov. Yeah, we get this fight scene with Dubov. And this is where he realizes he has to he has to be 
cast to Troy and he has to be authentic and how he would act in this situation. And so he's sort of getting beaten a little bit and then he brings it back round and you can see that Pollux is watching. And he does this great moment of doing like realizing and he does the eyes, does the like the crazy eyes. And uh, and then eventually it gets broken up just before it looks like he's about to kill that guy. And uh, the guards come in and magnetize their feet to the floor and, and shock them. So, yeah, it was a really, really cool scene. What did you think of this? It, yeah, it was good. It's at this point where the guard says, we're the ones that break up the fights, isn't it? So he, yeah. he goes to hit him with the tray. And it's like, oh, he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him. And he doesn't. And then all of a sudden they, they get magnetized to the floor, electrocuted, and then it's, we're the ones that break up the fights, not you sort of thing. Exactly. And then at this point, dun, 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 the real cast of Troy wakes up in the hospital without a face. And we get this great moment of him taking off the like bandages, touches his own face, but it's the camera is sat behind him. So like we were saying earlier, it's not like this great gruesome scene, but your imagination is sort of doing it. And then you're seeing the, uh, you know, this in reflective surfaces around, which is ironic considering they purposely didn't, you know, do that for Nicolas Cage on the set. And he calls, you know, his boys saying, but it's cool. You know, he says, he puts his fingers in, in the, in, into the face, or what's, what would have been his face. And he feels, feels all the like blood and gunky bits. And he says, we're going to deal with it. Uh, kind of like laughing and then they kidnap uh, the doctor and uh, you know Tito and uh, the other people they bring him through and uh, you know like we said earlier he's like smoking the cigarette bravo bravo (laughs) just admiring your greatest hits and uh, it's like but what do you want he says take one fucking guess (laughs) <laughs> and one goddamn guess what does he say I mean, yeah i think it's one goddamn guess yeah and 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 there we go so we move back to the prison archer as troy is in the general population and he talks to pollux and he manages to get out of him where the bomb is and then tells him that he's pathetic so it's like job done so all good to go he then goes into like a solitary room thinking that he's you know, going to be released. But then in enters himself, in enters Caster Troy as Sean Archer. We're 50 so minutes into the movie at this point, And this is where it just really kicks up a gear. It's like we've set up everything we need to set up now. And I, Travolta is amazing in this scene with the whole, you good looking and all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like looking into a mirror only not <laughs> like i love all all of that the way he delivers it the mannerisms and uh you know the wedding ring see anything you like and all that stuff. <laughs> did you, you 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 killed them beats paying the bill <laughs> <laughs> that's a great bit I think they both do really well in this so he does really well at Cage and Cage does really well at 
sort of being this distraught mess. I I think that it seems like they both have more fun playing the villain. Mm. But maybe that's just because we kind of like the villain as an audience. Like, obviously, you know, if this was in the realms of reality, we wouldn't like him. But because it's, you know, caricatures, etc., it's almost like it's acceptable to to like the villain. But yeah, yeah, they're both brilliant. I perfect. So this sort of goes through the general plot points of you know what's going to happen. There's a point where Cage. I was going to call him Cage and Travolta because it gets confusing as to obviously they're both one and the other, but sort of grabs him uh, and is choking him. And John Travolta actually look. It looks like he's actually being choked. Like I know, yeah. I know it's acting, but <laughs> <laughs> they're both pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes, at times, when they want to be. Yeah. <laughs> we then move to uh, Travolta going home, and he drives past his own house, and uh, they all look the same, and he flirts a bit with Eve. Hate to see you go. Love to see you leave. Again, it's it's good. It's good moments, like good acting. I mean, what did you think of all of this? Yeah, there's there's a great. You can see the massive character change in in both of them, particularly I think particularly in Travolta actually, um, at playing crazy Castor Troy, and he, you know, comes up with excuses and is like, "I'm tired. All the houses look the same. It's been very stressful." And then she's like, oh, I'm going off to the hospital. I'm still mad at you. And he's like, no, no, what's wrong? And doesn't, hasn't quite clicked that she's a doctor. It takes him, it takes him a while to work it out, but then he sort of works it out. And uh, yeah, then the line, I hate to see you go, we'll have to watch you leave or whatever. And it's, he's creepy, but they don't, they haven't quite clocked on why. They know something's different about him, but they're not sure what it is yet. And he goes inside and reads her diary. Yeah. <laughs> haven't made love in two months what a loser <laughs> it's just it's got these like really dark humor moments in it that uh yeah make it really funny this is then when travolta goes into jamie's room or as you said earlier and gets her name wrong you have something like crave leans over for the cigarettes Papa's gets got a, a bit, bag gets a bit close and creepy doesn't it <laughs> It does, it does, especially as like, you know, we alluded to earlier, potentially this choir girl's underage and, you know, kind of similar looking in a way actually to, to her, mm. say fits his type. Back in the prison, Pollux gets released and he sort of does his little pinky wave goodbye. It is really annoying. You just want to break that little pinky off, don't you? Horrendous little rat. That's what he is. That's what he is. I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I can't and I won't. We get back to the FBI office and Travolta's saying he's going to uh, interrogate Pollux and Pollux is eating his tongue sandwiches, they call it. And mm. I had to ask my wife, it's like, what What does that, as like a vegetarian myself for many years, it's like, what, is that an actual tongue or is that like a nickname for a type of meat or something? She said, maybe, no, maybe a tongue. What did you take from that? Do you think he's actually eating tongues? Yeah, you can get tongue. You can buy tongue in your local supermarket. You know, you know where your packaged ham is? Yes. You can get tongue there. Well, like beef, like cow tongue? 
I assume so. Would you ever think, hey, I'm going to get a couple pieces of bread, make a real nice sandwich, get some mustard out, you know, and then put in an animal's tongue? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think to do that. No. How much would I have to pay you to eat a tongue sandwich? Put you through it, but I'm just wondering what your price is. I don't know. Probably be just just the fact that it's a tongue is a bit off-putting, isn't it? Yes. Probably has to be a fair amount. What are you offering? I don't want. Well, I don't want you to do it. So this would have okay. to be like a GoFundMe from our listeners, but. <laughs> fun tom to eat some tongue if you if nicholas cage said he'd be a guest on the podcast if you ate a tongue sandwich would you do it yes i'd do it that's commitment to the i'd do it for you thank you would you do it even as a as a vegetarian of many years i have to say nicholas i'm sorry but this is where i draw the line Uh, i'll take the bullet for you okay thank you (laughs) <laughs> work out what i can do to help you in this scenario but <laughs> so he turns the camera off and says to pollux you know you're supposed to be like snitching to make me look good so he can you know go and defuse the bomb which then moves to this uh segment where he goes to the la convention center and uh all the bomb disposal unit are there and they're like we can't do it basically it's going to take hours but there's only like a minute left he says leave and they leave and uh and then he uses the touchscreen pad so in the 90s they've got some touchscreen going on and it doesn't work quite at first and then it does and he saves the day and he's now an american hero you know how many seconds it had left two had two seconds left but the news reporter says how many i don't know one. Oh. The news always embellishing. <laughs> what did you think of this scene? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, I was, you know, you always have that shock moment of, oh, it's, it's not going to diffuse. He's, he's cocked up. He's got the code wrong or something like that. But then he touches the code in again and it has the, you've disarmed me or something. It comes up with a little video, doesn't it? Yeah. Very drastic. Uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's uh, Although, this is where it becomes sort of more unbelievable. Why is this FBI agent who is who can fly a helicopter but has never expressed any understanding of bomb or bomb making can all of a sudden walk in and defuse it, but seems to work for him. True. Yeah. <laughs> we then get a very sort of ace ventura moment of where back in the prison, do you know what bit I'm gonna say? Uh, when he looks at the screen, yeah, anything you like, sort of thing, isn't it? He says something like, uh, "You know, if he's watching, our side's got the ball, or mm. something like that, isn't it?" Uh, interception, our side's got the ball, isn't it? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's said very like, yeah, like Ace Ventura type. Then dare I say, Dom, a load, a load, a truckload of juxtaposition between. <laughs> Between Cage in like the prison, solitary confinement in this like, you know, damp, sort of dingy looking, you know, cell. And then you've got Travolta being celebrated by his peers and, you know, everyone loving him and get the moment of Susie. I might be making that up. Some, you know, it's being like, oh, did you have a surgical procedure, sir? And he's like, her name is Wanda. 
<laughs> what did Wanda say, Dom? Did you get a surgical procedure? And he says, what do you mean? And it gets a bit serious. Have you had the stick surgically removed from your ass? There we go. Nice. Getting a bit brave out there, Susie. Yeah. And we then get Eve coming home to Travolta to candlelights, you know, setting the mood, talking about, you know, he put he puts the president on, on hold so he can talk to his wife, which actually in some ways, you know, because uh, earlier in the movie it was like foreshadowed because uh, his wife was on hold when it was the actual archer and he just, you know, left it to go off to, you know, try and save the day. In some ways, is he a better husband to Eve <laughs> in these moments? Then, funny enough, I was thinking exactly the same thing earlier when I rewatched it. I thought oh, he's actually doing a better job than Archer. <laughs> and even later, like take out some of the creepiness when he when we have the scenes later with the daughter and he's you know showing her how they use the knife and stuff and. But he says about, he's talk, talking over dinner, drinking wine, talking about, you know, from the president, etc. And Sean Archer writes his own ticket, so on and so forth. And then it's implied that they knock some boots. <laughs> oh, gosh. So obviously had a penis change because she would have noticed, right? Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. <laughs> oh dear. Are you gonna do more? Sky rockets in flight. <laughs> afternoon delight. <laughs> afternoon delight. <laughs> I think it was early evening, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, we move back to Cage and he's in the general population and he's asking uh, the guy that he was talking to earlier about, you know, how, how does he get out of here and about the boots and they only take the boots off when they're going to, like, fry you as, like, you know, like, shock your brain and whatever as punishment. And uh, he goes over to one of the prison guards and says, you know, I'm out of cigarettes, takes a cigarette and this ensues a, a fight scene. And, uh, you know, it's basically just a distraction so that he can get the cigarette and, uh, you know, be taken to, to be punished. And then we get the great moment of, you got a light? Anyone got a light? <laughs> right. He's, he's fought half the prison guards in the area. Uh, and managed to still retain the cigarette. He then gets taken up to the place where he's going to be uh, shocked, and Dubov is already being shocked and punished for whatever, which I guess is implied or alluded to earlier because he's already had two strikes, right? Yeah. And he's like, to the point, he's been like throwing up on himself and everywhere. So. Well, they even say, we, we better stop it before he chokes on his own vomit. Right. Nasty. Which is grim. Grim, grim, grim. It's obviously like this prison is you know it's not regulated <laughs> it's not C cqc regulated <laughs> um the cage gets put on put on they take his boots off he they give him a light for his cigarette uh and then he's talking to dubov and saying that he didn't have a sex sandwich with his wife and his sister which technically is not a lie because he didn't like he didn't anyway um, yeah. you know let's get out of here 
and they work together to get out. And this ensues a massive action beat of all kinds of chaos and all kinds of, uh, you know, action, sulfuric acid being thrown up and shot. And it kind of uh, shows that Archer won't, or, you know, Nicolas Cage as Archer, won't uh, kill the guards. Like he'll wound them and shoot them in the legs and stuff like that, but he try not to kill them where Duboff is killing people left, right and center. <laughs> um, and then eventually Duboff, I, I'm just going to get to the end of this bit. So now I can I ask you fully on this whole segment. Duboff uh, dies by falling off of the, uh, well, we, we think he dies, but we don't actually see by falling off the balcony. And then eventually cage escapes by jumping off of uh, you know the top of the prison is the great reveal that actually the prison is in the middle of the water and uh, you know completely secluded and almost like inescapable. What did you think of this whole segment, Dom? It's all great action, isn't it? It's all fun. It's all, he's worked out a way of getting the boots off because they can't control him, and then it's fight, 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 fight. But there's one bit where he's sort of in a corner of a room getting shot at with a machine gun. Everything around him is getting hit except for him. It's just one of those sort of like silly action movie moments, but I, I really like it. And he's befriended this this guy who's managed to get convince him that uh, he could. He's managed to convince him to help him break out or at least start a riot anyway. And uh, it works for a time. And he even says to him, "No, no, no killing." He goes to shoot two people at a control panel, and he goes grabs the gun and goes, "No." So just to make sure he he really understands. Uh, and then, yeah, it all goes crazy. And then the jumping off the top of the the rig, basically, he, I like that his legs are doing that, like uh, going back and forth in the air. And then yeah. when he's about to land, they're together sort of like dive, pencil dives in. Which, <laughs> quick segue or tangent, if we will. Uh, when I was in America, I used to do Camp America in like summers uh, in, in my late sort of teens. And there was this lake that people would cliff dive off of. It's probably like 60 foot high or something. And you jump off and jump into the lake. And I'm scared, like Nicolas Cage, I am scared <laughs> of heights. And I wasn't going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. And then suddenly I just had this surge of me of like, you know, I'm 19 years old. This is the time. I'm in America. It's the time of my life. I'm just going to do it. And so fully clothed, like, I just run and just jump off of this, like, cliff edge, um, like, just very spontaneously. And as I did it, I hadn't really been thinking about landing and stuff. And so I didn't know that you're meant to, like, pencil in to, you know, go into the water. So instead, I my limbs are flailing everywhere. And I land in the water like as if I'm sitting in an armchair. And as I do it, my arms, they all slap into the water and a massive rush of water goes into my buttocks. <laughs> and it was so painful later that day. And it's so funny that you mention it. Uh, we go to watch, I think it was Die Hard 4. I really do. I think it was. It might have been... Maybe that was a bit late. I'm not sure. It, I think it was like a diehard movie. We go to the cinema later that day, and I remember I could barely sit in the cinema because there was so much pain. I had blood like underneath uh, the skin, like in my arms. So it's like, yeah. So it was important that 
he penciled when jumping off of that rig. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you heard it here first as well. Pencil dive, guys. Pencil dive. Or you will have a sharp rush of water entering into your buttocks. <laughs> oh, dear. So we move forward, and this is where it's um, Mikey's birthday. So Travolta and Eve, they go to, to the grave. And it's a sad moment, obviously an odd situation for him to be in because he was actually the one that killed him. Travolta finds out that Cage escaped, or they, they say he's dead. And he says, well, I want to see his body. And they're like, oh, it hasn't, hasn't been found yet, hasn't been recovered yet. And hmm. he says, well, what if he comes back to the city or something like that? And it's like, he's already here. And this is where you've got Cage running around and he steals a car and he's trying to, you know, get messages to Eve. And then eventually he ends up at Dietrich's apartment. And when we get this whole segment at Dietrich's apartment, he takes the drugs, no more drugs for that man. And he says about, he wants to find Archer and he wants to take his face off. And we get, yeah, we get the great moment of his like, so his face. Oh. We're introduced to Sasha. Well, we've been introduced to her, but kind of, and so is he actually. But, you know, <laughs> uh, and we're introduced to your favorite character of the movie, Adam. And I like Adam. Oh, Adam. <laughs> oh, Adam. We know your name. And Pollux Troy is watching from afar and he lets uh, Travolta know. And then eventually this uh, ensues into this next big action beat of the story. And what we talked about earlier in the trivia, or we've got the soft music being played through Adam's uh, headphones while all of this chaos is going on as the FBI basically raid it. And it ends with Dietrich's death and he gets shot in the neck and he's sort of holding it. And this always like uh, troubled me as a child when he then eventually kisses, well, not this part, and he got that on more recent viewings. He kisses his own sister. Oh, yeah, really, really creepy. And I would never have realised that when I was a kid, like as in I don't think I realised that they were brother and sister. Yeah. There's a, well, there's a moment where she's been interrogated earlier on in the film, isn't she? By um, Travolta. And when they're leaving, and Dietrich puts his head like on the side of her head in quite a intimate way and it's just like and then the kiss obviously it's just a bit, a bit of a weird very close relationship between them very strange yeah. that wasn't the bit that freaked me out it's the bit where he's holding his bullet wound and he lets go and it's just like pouring out of his neck yeah no. that's it's pretty good though but it was his mate that shot him as well it was what did you think of this whole segment in Dietrich's um, like place it's another good bit. It's a good, you know, it's another good section where he has to really lie and act and try and be Caster Troy um, as best as he can. And there's, all, there's some suspicious moments where they're not really sure why he's saying the things that he's saying. And he manages to sort of pass for him anyway, because nobody would believe that it wouldn't, wasn't him anyway, because that would be impossible. Or would it? So it's really good. The action's really good as well. It just seems like the FBI can just go in and shoot up a building whenever they like. 
yeah. we don't need a we don't need a warrant <laughs> we're coming in no matter what but yeah really good scene overall and it carries carries the story on further and it like you said it could be different segments like or ep- like quite or could be turned into like episodes couldn't it because we meet adam and it, we've got this whole bit with sasha and it could just be another part of the film couldn't it or another episode somewhere else so there's a lot of like tying up that happens and we find out with a big reveal that it's you know Casa Troy's child as well and then we lead on to another face-off there <laughs> double entendre but between <laughs> Travolta and Cage where they're like talking to each other on either side of a mirror and then yeah. they turn and they see themselves in the mirror and you know some good little you know touches of imagery there and this then leads to Cage killing Troy, Pollux Troy, by not yes. through the through the roof, through the ceiling. And then there's that great reaction of, "But sir, why are you upset? It's just Pollux Troy." And he just shoots him in the head. Yeah, like bang. But he does look around, doesn't he, to make sure nobody else had seen him do that. Yeah, but he's still very conscious that he's Archer. Good scene. Good way to move the move the story forward. We then get to Travolta coming home and finding Jamie being like accosted in the car by that guy from that seventies show. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to get his his little little kiss out of her, isn't he? A bit of a bit of a grope. Yeah, more than a kiss, I think. He <laughs> then gets a swift beating by Travolta and then they have this sort of bonding moment, smoking cigarettes in the living room and he gives her the knife and says, you know, next time, put it in his thigh and twist it so the wound won't close. And that comes back, obviously, to fruition later in the story. Travolta's having a bad day at the office, assuming this is the next day, and he kills his boss. He says he's had a heart attack. A good swift elbow to the chest. And this is showing that people are questioning his tactics, aren't they? Because that's what he was basically saying. Like, you're out of control, not getting jurisdiction, not getting warrants, like he said, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this is where Cage makes first contact with Eve and he sneaks in. He's like got a wound, doesn't he, from this sort of battle that happened the night before and he tells her about the blood, the blood types, and tries to explain to her, you know, what's been happening. Some great acting here by Cage again. And and Joan Allen is really good in this as well. She takes some of Travolta's blood in the night, and then the next day she tests it in the lab, and just waiting already in the corner is Cage, sort of pops out of the darkness. And uh, she knows that, you know, what he's been saying is right. Travolta starts to sort of um, sort of clock on a little bit and he shows up at her work and, you know, thinks that the jig is up. But it's actually uh, someone else that's like a burn victim or something on their face. Yeah. Move to the church scene because it is his boss's funeral. Yes. The day. So she's already got an excuse. So um, Eve has got an excuse for Jamie not being there. And I said, you know, she she can't even go to Michael's grave anymore. Why would she come to your boss's funeral? So it's a good way of keeping her out of the picture and out of the way. And it's like, oh, okay. And you, um, Travolta has 
Troy is suspicious. And even when he's in the hospital trying to catch her out, says, oh, it's almost like becoming a real marriage. Because there's, uh, um, you know, a bit of, uh, bit of jealousy and a bit of mistrust between them. Nice. So we then get to the church scene and this is there's a lot of doves flying around and we get another great you know showdown between cage and travolta cage uh, travolta comes down the aisle going oh, it's so funny so good uh, and then we this is where we get to the point where everyone's holding a gun on each other yeah like a mexican standoff exactly that <laughs> And then we get guns flying everywhere. Sasha gets killed and lots of other people get killed. And then we get the showdown outside between Cage and Travolta, of course. But he like chokes him a little bit. And so Cage's, uh, you know, vocal chip or whatever gets loosened. So they both have Travolta's voice. Yeah. Which I thought was an effect that was actually done really well. Like that, they've obviously ADR'd that in afterwards, but it um, it matches up really well. Yeah. So the the over, the overdubbing that they've done at the end of the film to to make it Travolta's voice is is really good. Yeah, it's a good little plot device as well. And then Travolta's holding Jamie sort of hostage, and this is where the knife comes back into play into the fight. And then begins the speedboat <laughs> segment of the film, which I've heard <laughs> on that other podcast I mentioned earlier, that when they covered it, they said that John Woo had envisualized this uh, segment to be the end of a different movie that didn't ever get greenlit or never went into production. So he just thought, I'm just going to tag it on to the end of this one. Because wow. it does feel like the movie could have ended at the church. But yeah, definitely. There's like a whole another sort of like ten minutes of the speedboat chase uh, with explosions and all kinds of craziness. I mean, what did, this is where you can see a lot of the stunt doubles in you know <laughs> Blu-ray HD. But I mean, what did you think of the whole speedboat section? It it was a bit random because I think it more or less ends up in the same place as well, doesn't it? So they they do this massive like loop and then end up back back where they began. Um, so I mean, it probably could could have been cut out if you ask me, but it's great that it's in there because it's another great sort of fight scene and a lot of action. Nicholas Cage in the water for most of it, like holding onto the side of a speedboat, a lot of explosions. So it's pretty cool. And then it ends with the boats exploding, and then Travolta and Cage are on the beach, and another showdown, and he has the like spear gun. And Travolta holds it just before it's going to go. And he's just like, well, every time you look in the mirror, you're going to see my face. And he starts like with this maniacal expression on his face, like cutting his own face. And that always really bothered me as a child as well. I was like, Dad, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop cutting your face. <laughs> your beautiful face. And then... <laughs> Uh, he gives him a, a swift kick in the Pollux Troy and <laughs> and the spear gun pops and there we go and then he starts singing it again ready for the big ride baby right yeah and there we go and then as 
Cage is being put into the ambulance. His, you know, colleagues know that he is Archer and they call him Archer. They call him Sean. And then a very quick little reverse surgery. He does, he says he doesn't need that scar to be put back um, because, uh, you know, this has given him closure, this whole uh, scenario. And then we end with Adam, your favourite line. I'm Adam. I'm Adam. I'm Adam. This is so annoying. Then Jamie takes him to his new room, credits the end. What did you think of that ending? Because I went through that bit a little bit quick. Probably could have just ended on the beach, but Sasha had already said, you know, look after my boy. So they had to drop that in, didn't they? But uh, hi, everyone. Meet Adam. I'm Jamie. I'm Adam. We know. We know who you are, but it's a good, it's a good ending. I think it's a good ending to the film. It's nice that he's back to normal. He's smiley and happy Travolta again. And they can start, they can really start their new lives with Adam as well. Nice. So that is Face Off. Hey. So Dom, of the primary cast, who was your favourite performer of Face Off? I think for me, it's Nicolas Cage. Uh, what would be interesting to find out is how much screen time each of them had. Someone must have worked that out, but if it's equal or if one had more than the other, but it felt like it had a lot more to do with Nicolas Cage than John Travolta throughout the whole film, really. But he plays both characters very well. Travolta does as well, but I think I just enjoy the performance from... Nicholas Cage a lot more. What about yourself? See, now, I w as a kid, I would have said Cage, because even though he has that, it's only a little short section at the beginning of him being cast to Troy, that's still how I sort of remember cast to Troy, because that's how we were introduced to him, even though it's Travolta throughout the rest of the movie. But on this viewing, I think it would actually, I'd have to tip my hat to Travolta as being my choice, because... Wow. He also plays it so well, but I think it's just because I like that character so much in, in the yeah. right way. Um, so I'll say Travolta on, on, on this case. And um, what about the secondary cast? And just so you know, yes, you can include Adam as a secondary cast if you want to. Choose. I'll, pick, I'll pick Adam then. Adam was quality. I'm Adam. <laughs> um, secondary cast, uh, I suppose Pollux was... Um, very annoying and did it well, but I didn't really like. I don't really like his character, but he played it well, so you know that's that's okay. There's a couple of people in the film that are in The Wire. Have you ever watched The Wire? I have not. I know that's like a crime because I know it's renowned as like amazing, but uh, I've watched it several times. I have all of them on DVD. Uh, when we're allowed to be near each other again, I'll lend you them. They're all oh. very good. So uh, Robert Wisdom, who plays Tito is in The Wire, uh, and he's great. So I, I kind of saw him as that character for a little while, but, I, you know, obviously know that he isn't. Uh, and actually the guy that played Dubov is in The Wire as well. Um, I think his name's Chris Bauer in real life. Um, so he's in the second season of The Wire, and, you know, he's pretty cool. But I can't really pinpoint one person that I enjoyed more than the rest out of the secondary cast. Sasha was good. She's quite a good character because she shows 
sensitive side, angry side, the victim side, and the the fighter. So I think she's probably she'd probably be my choice. Nice. What about, what about yourself? I would probably say I like Duboff. I think he is good. So I'll say him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I could see Sasha as a as a good choice as well. So time to get to our ratings. So Dom, what would you give Face Off out of ten? subjectively for your nostalgia rating etc and what it means to you and objectively in 2020 vision objectively from a 2020 point of view i think i'd probably give it probably a seven so the same as like the imdb score and i think a lot of that is based on it seems it feels quite timeless the film so the whole premise of faces off and stuff like that still feels like it it could be science fiction, even though we know that someone has had a face transplant now. But there's still uh, that whole identity swap part of the film, which is which is the whole point of it, really. So yeah, I'd probably give it a seven. It's fun. It's there's a lot of explosions and fights and stuff like that, which is you know everybody likes. And there's some good dialogue, um, some really actually some quite comic moments in it as well. So yeah, that's what I'd give it from a like a a viewpoint now. And what about your subjective? Subjectively, I think I'd actually give it an eight. It's a really fun film. Reminds me a lot of when we would um, hang out together and watch it. You know, my parents both like it as well. So it's one of those that everyone can kind of get involved and sit and chill and watch it. And it hasn't, you know, it hasn't aged, if that makes sense. There's films you, you will go back and watch and think, God, it's you can really tell that's that's an old film or you know it's but i could watch it again today and i've already watched it once today right <laughs> <laughs> nice what about your ratings what would you, what would you give it well objectively i would give it an 8 i think because i would take into consideration that it is a 90s film you know seeing mm. it from from that perspective that elements of it are going to be a little bit dated and whatever but like you said it doesn't feel dated to me anyway but it's hard for me to know whether that's just because I have a lot of love for it but yeah I'll give it an eight and then subjectively I'm going to give it like a nine maybe a 9.5 because to me it's on my rush more of like 90s movies that meant a lot to me and mean a lot to me and ones that I love and like you, it reminds me of my dad because I watched it with him because he's John Travolta in it. So there's like a whole, you know, connections there. But it's a great film. It's great fun. I would recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. I, I'm pretty sure I don't know anyone that hasn't seen it. If I do, then they would need to quickly be exited from my life because, <laughs> you know, that's like one of the first points of, are we friends? Have you seen Face Off? No? Okay sorry (laughs) see you later buddy so that was that but now dom it's time to talk about what we are going to cover on our next episode of the podcast now our choices have gone a bit all over the place recently due to scheduling conflicts with covid19 etc 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 of course so our next episode dom i have actually chosen and coordinated even though technically this is your choice i'm sorry we're gonna have to tally up some of your choices here (laughs) to go on a little like dom choice run after this but hopefully you won't mind because we have 
a cast member and a special guest for the next episode of the podcast. Ooh, that's exciting. Okay. Not just a cast member, but the protagonist, the main person in the movie. Well, she got a, a main character in the film. The from the film, sorry. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm absolutely intrigued just to, to find out who you've got for the next podcast then. Well, it's, it's an interesting one because it's actually a film that I haven't seen and I'm, I think you haven't seen it either. Oh, God. <laughs> and we're going to have to talk to the person that was the main character in it about it. Yes. We're getting brave on this podcast. <laughs> but the reason why I reached out to them is because this is a movie that has been requested by people on our social media. So it's one that has a lot of fanfare and holds like a special place in a lot of people's hearts and nostalgia and childhood. So important one for us to cover, but not one I, I, I don't think we have ever seen, but it will be fun, it will be a great experience. And maybe that's an interesting perspective to come from to talk to this person about, you know, as in we didn't grow up with it, but talking to them about how they have, they've grown up with it, you know? So without any further ado, the film, is Johnny Tsunami Disney Channel original movie? Have you seen it? I have never seen it. I haven't even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll recognise the cover art, like when when you like look into it. Um, so the person that we're being uh, joined by is Brandon Baker who plays Johnny in, in the movie. Uh, Johnny Tsunami is actually uh, character's grandfather in the movie, from what I have seen from research online. But I look forward to watching it. Hopefully you will too. And we'll get into all of that good stuff on our next episode of the podcast. That sounds great. I can't wait to uh, do the deep dive on Johnny Tsunami. Excellent. Before we go, if you'd like to interact with us or make any suggestions for movies or TV shows that we could cover next on the podcast, you can do that at our website, which is themighty90s.com, or you can contact us on social media. Yep, so you can follow us on Instagram at themighty90s, and drop us a message on there, or like our pictures, and uh, please leave us a rating or give us a review and be gentle with us. And wear gloves. Real talk, though, everyone. Just open up the little app real quick. Just go down. Little five stars. Just, it's not going to take you, let you know, any more than 10 seconds. But it will help us to share this with more people, you know, that hopefully will enjoy it. If you didn't enjoy it, that's fine. And, you know, I, we apologise. But please just hate us in silence. Don't hurt our precious rating, okay? <laughs> until next time we will see you next time thank you for listening show me the honey steam on lily don't want to raise your kids i don't even like kids his name is robert paulson you're not even a has-been you're a never was i'm woody howdy 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 i'm gonna show you god does exist i am invincible go baby go once again i see pride junior i see power i see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody that's right right there's not a man today who could take me away from my god
way you get looking. God. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. 